So our new series was uh, really suggested by Steve when he was doing his character study in Peter. He said it would be useful to uh, carry on into the letters of Peter. Uh, so over the next uh, few months, we're going to be looking at First and Second Peter, uh, the two general letters that he wrote to believers uh, midway through the first century. Now, Peter was the one to whom the Lord had said in the upper room, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And he was speaking of the whole group of disciples. But the Lord said, but I have prayed for you, specifically Peter, that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Here was a man for whom the Lord had prayed that his faith would not fail. Now he went through the experience of denying the Lord Jesus and he was restored again. And his faith was solid when he met the resurrected Lord Jesus. And in the intervening encounters that he had with the Lord Jesus before, the Lord Jesus returned to heaven, his faith became solid and strong again. The man who had been prayed for by the Lord and the man who had been sought out by the Lord after his failure, that his faith would be strong. Let's not forget that. So here he is now writing two letters and he's fulfilling the commission that the Lord had given to him as they're walking along the beach that day we read in John 21 the Lord said to him three times do you love me and each time Peter said yes you, you know I love you and the Lord said each time tend my lambs shepherd my feet my sheep feed my sheep and here is Peter fulfilling that now he's a man who has known the Lord Jesus's care for him and his prayer to his father for his faith to be strong and to be kept. And he knew the words of the Lord that when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And then there was the repeat of that in John 21. You take care of these sheep. You give them what they need. You strengthen them. You shepherd them, Peter. And here is Peter, most likely uh, middle of the century. And maybe 25 to 30 years after the Lord Jesus has ascended back to glory after his victory of Calvary, into death and burial and through resurrection and then into glory. Here is Peter fulfilling that charge, his faith strong, now shepherding the people of God and encouraging them in their faith, that their faith be strong in difficult times. I want us now to read uh, the first 12 verses of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'll say a few things about this portion now. Twelve, these 12 verses are some of the deepest and richest of all the scriptures. So we are only going to say a very few things very quickly. But bear that in mind, Peter fulfilling his commission to encourage those in their faith who are of the people of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter was a man who had become a preacher. The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he stands up and he preaches that powerful sermon and 3,000 souls are saved and added to the Lord that day. He goes on to be a man who would preach and teach. He's a man who fulfills the commission of the Lord Jesus, whose faith is strong and solid because the Lord had prayed for him. But part of his ministry is to write letters. We don't know the circumstances exactly uh, that we're pretending at the time when he wrote this, but he sees that letters are a means by which people can be encouraged. I'm just going to say this as a very quick thing. Let's not forget about this today. We can say much to encourage the faith of each other in the talks that we would give in our teachings of the scripture as God would help us to understand. In the one-on-one -on -one situations where we can have conversations with people as shepherds would do their work and as others would draw alongside those who need help and encouragement to encourage them in their faith. That's important. We can do that too. I know we do that. But there's something special about a letter. I have letters in the history of my life that mean so much because you look back on them and you see the preciousness of somebody having taken the time to sit down and handwrite. And I think that's something a little special as well today in our electronic age. Rather than a message, a handwritten note to somebody can make so much of a difference. And here is a handwritten note because they didn't have the technology back then, that's written by Peter and is most likely then copied numerous times because notice he's writing to those who are dispersed. In what is modern-day Turkey, the five Roman provinces listed there in verse 1 make up Turkey today. He's writing to those who are dispersed, maybe because of persecution or, well, most likely because of that, and times are tough for them. Their faith is being tested. They're in an environment, in a world, that is pagan, that is against the things of Christianity, even in these early days. These are difficult days for them, and their faith is something that's being got at. So Peter takes the opportunity to write letters that he might shepherd and strengthen people. Maybe today, for some of us, there's a challenge coming that we know there's somebody that is worth a letter. <coughs> Go and get some paper and get a pen, if you can still use one, and write it out and send it to them. It makes all the difference to those people. He was writing to displaced people. That's how I understand uh, that verse 1 there. 
My version says they're aliens or they're exiles scattered throughout those five Roman provinces. But notice what Peter says of them, these people who are dispersed. He says they are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now this marks out a particular group of people. It's people who are in service for God. You go back into Paul's writings in Ephesians and he speaks there of our being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and our exaltation in God's estimation to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's all heavenly in Ephesians. But here in Peter, Peter is looking at something else differently. He's saying that this election, this choosing by the foreknowledge of God the Father is for a people who are exiles living in this world here and now. So it applies to us. You know that in Christ we are seated in the highest places with him. Our election is sure in Christ. We are God's forever. But here are the elect that Peter is addressing who have been dispersed through the five Roman provinces and they're known by God before, chosen by him, sanctified by the working of the Holy Spirit. That means to be made holy, to be set apart to God and that's a progressive thing here I believe this is speaking of service not salvation this is what flows on from salvation Ephesians would speak of God's choosing of us and the rejoicing that we have in the salvation of God for us here it's those same people living out a life of service here on this earth it's more earthly it's earthbound what he's looking at chosen According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, God's working in us, those who are indwelt by the Spirit, that we might be progressively set apart to God. And we'll get to that in the verses that follow after this section we're looking at today. And to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now this is the matter of obedience. This is service. The sprinkling of blood is distinct from... uh, The covering of blood. You go back into the Old Testament and you see the imagery there. On the first Passover night. The blood over the doors. Protecting the people. The blood of the lamb that was shed. And the people are redeemed by God. And that then speaks of the Passover. Christ himself. Whose blood redeems a people. But then you get that same people who come to Mount Sinai. And they receive the law from God. And uh, we read about this in... Uh, in Exodus 24 they receive the law from God and it's in a book form and Moses reads all of what God says to his people if you do this this is my covenant I'm making with you if you do this and be obedient it's the best life for you you'll be my people you'll be my special peculiar treasure and the people say all that the Lord has said we will do it says then they were sprinkled by the blood of sacrifices the book and the people were sprinkled Sprinkled by the blood. Sprinkling is to do with service. We see it as well. You read on in Exodus and you come to Exodus 29. And you read there about the tabernacle that has been built and constructed for the service of God's people. That God might be glorified. The place that God says, I will come and dwell among this people. It's sprinkled with blood. The priests who are the ones who are to officiate as those who are the mediator between God and men, to come with the sacrifices of the people. 
they're also sprinkled with the blood. It's distinct from the blood of Passover. This is the blood of service, the sprinkling for service. That's why Peter says to obey Jesus Christ. So what am I saying here? What is Peter telling us? This is people who are together in service for God. And God has known this people from all of eternity. And he has chosen them for this service. And the sanctifying work of the Spirit is progressively bringing them closer to God, more holy in their service. And it's for the obedience to Jesus Christ, sprinkled by his blood. And he says to them, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. And I just say something very quickly on the matter of foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is not merely knowing something in advance. That's not the sense of the word in Old Testament or New Testament language, in Hebrew or Greek. That's not it. It's not enough. It speaks of an intimate knowledge of someone where there is purpose in pursuing a relationship with that person. When Adam knew Eve, that's the same word, the intimacy of of, um, sexual relations between the man and his wife, that's there in this word. It's this knowing in a very particular and intimate way, a unique knowledge that brings about special attention It shows that one has chosen this one. Now that changes foreknowledge from just merely knowing something in advance. For me, (coughs) this is not God reacting to our love to him. Because I don't think without God intervening in our lives we can love him. This is God from all of eternity in Christ having chosen us for salvation, yes. The elect ones. And chosen, chosen us for service too. And he then has purposed in all of his counsels from all of eternity. He has pursued us that we might be his. Now that changes the perception of that word. And makes us want to cry out in praise to God. You've chosen and you have pursued me. That you might know me intimately. And you might bring me into this service. Where I might know you in a particular way. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3, Paul says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Actually, the Greek really means, if anyone loves God, he has been known by God. It puts the order right. God has known us from all of eternity in Christ Jesus as those who are precious. And knowing us from all of eternity and knowing us in advance, yes, he has pursued us that he might have an intimate relationship with us as individuals, but also with us as a people. And here's the people being referred to in this portion of First Peter. I should say in the matter of the sprinkling with the blood, if you go back into the letter that was written uh, to the Hebrews, in chapter 9 and in other places, chapter 12 as well, there's the mention of the sprinkling of blood. The book of Hebrews is about the people of God together in service. So the sprinkling of blood fits with the people who are marked out by God for service, those who submit themselves and to what God has revealed. And here Peter is encouraging them. What does he say? May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. He knows that a people who pursue God in this way. Responding to what God has revealed in his word. They will know grace and peace. In fullest measure. Whatever life circumstances come at them. Now I have to very quickly race on. This next section. Then, I'm not going to read it again. But notice what Peter does. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He bursts into praise himself. 
Having considered what we've just said very quickly, he bursts into praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. It's a really rich word to describe a praise to God for what he has done and who he is. And if you look down at verse 10, that starts by saying, as to this salvation, he then goes on to speak about the prophets of old who were wondering what the Spirit of God, described here as the Spirit of Christ in them, was telling them about the one who was coming and the sufferings that were coming and the glories to follow. And they searched it out diligently. This salvation was something remarkable for the prophets. So when we go back into the Old Testament, we read the prophets, let's not skim over it. These men were grappling with what it was God was telling them about the Christ and the glories to follow. This salvation was something glorious to the prophets who could only have a glimpse of it. Not only that, this salvation is so wonderful that Peter says that those who preached it to you, i.e. the people who were receiving the letter, could only do so through the help and the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't preach this gospel, this wonderful salvation of God, without the help of God because it's beyond our minds. It's... It's not the wisdom of this world. It's above and beyond. It's the wisdom of God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. Things into which angels long to look. That's a longing. They want to set their hearts on it. You know, the angels look on us, having received this salvation, and hear us declaring, blessed be God. And they're longing to know what that's all about. That's amazing because they have not had the experience that we have had as the redeemed people of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think, um, that's seven, isn't it? I think Peter gives us seven reasons why we're to praise God for this salvation. Just look at them very quickly. He has caused us to be born again, verse three, according to his great mercy. You follow it further into the chapter and it tells us in verses 23 to 25 that it's the word of God. It's the work of God through the word of God that brings about our being born again. It's God's work. And it's according to his great mercy. That's the first thing that should cause us to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is that we're born again to a living hope that's founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not alive, if the Saviour was not raised from the dead, that would be meaningless. There would be nothing of hope. But it's a living hope because the living Saviour is in the throne room of God on the throne. And he's there for us. And in him is all of our hope. It's a living hope. The second reason for why we should bless God for the magnificence of his salvation. He's caused us to be born again according to his great mercy, not giving us we were just undeserving sinners. But through his word, he has brought us to know himself and the saviour he has provided. And the hope that he brings us into is a living hope. It's wonderful because it's founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The third thing, to the obtaining of an untouchable inheritance. This is something yet future. Something that's untouchable because it's with God and it's God himself, I believe. Undefined. I think the sense of it is that it's beyond our imagining what is yet in store for us in eternity. 
when we pass out of this life and we step into the eons of eternity, there's an inheritance there that is just immeasurable and we just cannot grasp it because it's beyond our understanding. We have a sense of it now because we know this salvation, but we have this living hope in something which is just remarkably wonderful. And you know that little phrase that says it won't fade? I think that counters any fear that people ever have that heaven or the eternal state of the believer is going to be a boring place because we're just going to be praising God all the time. If it's not going to fade, then every day, because there will be days in eternity, every day will be a new day of glory and glory and joy. The fourth thing is that we are protected through faith for that very thing. Notice that God has protected this inheritance for us. It's absolutely guaranteed. But not only that, he then protects us. That we might be protected to enjoy. Take comfort in that. No wonder the people receiving this would have been encouraged. In the face of opposition for their faith. Nothing could touch the fact that they were God's. Nothing could touch the fact that they were God's possession. And that God had in store for them something beyond their imagining. And also he was protecting them for that very thing. God is the one who ensures our faith in Christ is protected. And it is rewarded with the promised inheritance. Which is secured by the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Fifth thing, I'm almost getting there. Why do we rejoice and praise God? It's because the trials and the tests of this life are to prove our faith. Peter was saying to them, you're going through difficult times, but you rejoice because God has saved you for this. It's inevitable that you will suffer. But these very tests are proving the value of your faith. You know, that then elevates the value of who God is because our faith is in the object of our faith. That's where the strength is. It's in God himself and in the Lord Jesus Christ. God allows circumstances in our lives to test our faith so that the purity of it and the glory of who God is himself would be the thing that captivates us. The sixth thing, and I love this, the reason for saying that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for this salvation is because there is reward guaranteed for faithful service. You may read this differently. It speaks of the praise and glory honour that, uh, that is to be given at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think that fits with Paul's eschatology as well, who speaks of when the Lord Jesus is revealed and he comes to the air to receive the church, the body to himself. And then there is the time when each life is measured uh, by the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and it's measured for reward and for glory. Because ultimately Christ is the one who is glorified whenever glory is given to those who have been faithful. I think the praise and the glory and the honour there are sitting on those who are God's people. Those who are faithful in their service. Praise and glory and honour is coming to them. Blessed be God for that. And the seventh thing, the final thing, is the obtaining of the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now, I had a little revelation this week. That word obtaining is in the present tense. For years I've always seen that as something future because of what was said before. Because of the inheritance that's laid up, but it's not. 
The reason we bless God for who he is now is because presently we are obtaining the outcome of our present faith, which is the salvation of our souls. We're to enjoy this salvation now. We've touched on that in our thanksgivings this morning in our worship. What a wonderful God we have. So Peter, in conclusion, emphasises that our belief in and our love for Jesus Christ, whom we have not seen, yet we love, whom we have not seen, yet we believe, in him is the source and the sustaining of inexpressible and glorified joy in our experience. We're to bless God for those seven features of his salvation and in Christ we see it all. You know, this faith is so real that it's life-changing because it transforms this life into a life of praise. Being born again, being brought into the salvation and all that is for us in what God has done means that we just give ourselves and say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.